Wouldn't it be nice to be able to target specific nutrients to improve your mental function? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by a pioneer in this area, actually not too far from where I was practicing medicine, uh, Dr. William Walsh, who uh, is the president of the nonprofit Walsh Research Institute. And I believe it's in Naperville. And uh, he is a, a PhD in chemical engineering from Iowa State University and really focuses in nutrient-based psychiatry and nutritional medicine. And uh, he also has is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, SMI. So we're both in that same professional organization. And he's designed nutritional programs for Olympic athletes, NBA players, Major League Baseball players, and uh, has done quite a bit. And is, he's uh, really a pioneer in this area and well-respected uh, researchers. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm a pleasure to be here. I, I started amassing gigantic databases. And I think I have the largest, the world's largest chemistry database for for autism, for depression, for behavior disorders. And, and when you look at these millions of chemical analyses of blood and urine and mm -hmm. tissues, I mean, it, it's, it's obvious that there are very great differences. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the really good things that happened uh, is that I found out that for mental disorders, for mental disorders, that about six or seven chemical imbalances dominate mental function. I mean, there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of important nutrients in the body, but in the brain, brain function, there are about six or seven that seem to dominate everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and eventually I found out why. It was clear after a while that these are the very nutrients that are either involved in in, in synthesis of a neurotransmitter or the functioning of a neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and they, they include methylation, mm -hmm. undermethylation, or overmethylation. Mm -hmm. In our database, 70% of all humans are in the United States have uh, normal, typical methylation. 22% are undermethylated. By the way, that includes most doctors, scientists, um, um, heads of industry, great athletes, um, and 8% are overmethylated. And uh, this about 70% of all people with a mental disorder have one of these methylation disorders. The most common either, either over or under, not normal. E either or all, yes. And and we and the symptoms are completely different, and the treatment they need is completely different. Hmm. We we so we also find that num actually zinc. People who are de depleted or deficient in zinc—that's uh, the most common that we see. I had a uh, I had a uh, intern this summer check out fifteen thousand of our patients across the board for all these different mental disorders, and it turns out that the median zinc level was seventy-six micrograms per deciliter, whereas the ideal level is between ninety and one hundred and thirty. So virtually everyone with a mental disorder seems to need zinc and improve on it. Copper is really important, and the reason copper is important is that it's a major factor in the synthesis of norepinephrine, one of the major neurotransmitters. If you look at the how it's formed, uh, it's formed, of course, in the brain from dopamine, and the and the the uh, enzyme is 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 needs copper in order to function, and so divalent uh, copper plus plus. Is, is a is a dramatic factor in the in the in the ratio 
of dopamine and norepinephrine. And they've done animal studies where they found that if they starve animals of copper, and so that they only have 25% of the normal amount of copper in their blood, the ratio between norepinephrine and dopamine is more than a factor of three, just an extraordinary level. So uh, most of us have, have the ability to homeostatically control copper. Some mm -hmm. people don't have that ability. It all has mm -hmm. to do with an enzyme called metallothionine that is genetically uh, expressed. Some people don't have that system working. And so if a person has high copper, copper overload, which we find virtually in every autistic patient and, every, and, and most patients with schizophrenia and almost everyone with postpartum depression, uh, that's a recipe for very high norepinephrine, and that means anxiety and depression, and low dopamine, which, and we know what that means, that it's a feel-good neurotransmitter, and, if you have, and, and also is a hallmark of ADHD. So it's a nasty combination. Do you ever see low copper levels? Yes, we do. We see low copper levels, and we find them especially in, in, in certain, certain troubled people, for example, sociopaths. We find that sociopaths innately have low copper levels. People who have undermethylation tend to have low normal copper levels. Um, yes, and, and that's uh, so there's biochemical individuality is through everything we do. And there's great, great differences in individuality. But the good news for, 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 for mental disorders is that, um, you know, there's more than 100 really important biochemicals in the body. If we had to do lab testing for 100 of them, it would be really difficult. And if we had to adjust, adjust the levels of these and normalize 100 different factors, it would make life very difficult. Sure. But we, we find that we could, by just focusing on maybe seven or eight of these, we can help 95% of the patients we see with nutrient therapy. I believe I was the first person to really alert the world to the importance of methylation and mental health. Back in 1999, the great um, uh, Dr. Rimland uh, had me uh, he knew I had the world's biggest database, chemistry database for, for uh, autism, and he's, he had a. He, um, he's another person that's passed. <laughs> There's like five that you've mentioned so far. <laughs> a, a giant. He was uh, he yeah. was uh, just a wonderful human being and brilliant, and just dedicated to autism, and uh, so he invited me to one of his think tanks. He would have sixty or seventy people from around the world, researchers, clinicians, and he he wanted me to report everything we had found about autism. And so I, and uh, so I did, and I gave it. I gave my first talk to this group, and I and I mentioned that they all seemed to have elevated copper. Well, they knew that they were zinc deficient. They knew that. I mentioned they had high pyro levels. They knew that. I mentioned they had oxidative overload and inflammation. They had. They already knew that. And then I said, 95% of autistics are undermethylated, and they all said, "What? Nobody had a, had any idea what that meant." So they kept inviting me back to talk about methylation, and then eventually we got some really first-class methylation scientists involved, Jill James, Dr. Richard Deff, and so we learned it was true that methylation was really important in autism. Then and after a while, people from the autism community got really interested in 23andMe and genetic testing because uh, undermethylation, the number one cause of undermethylation, are SNPs or, or polymorphisms or mutations in, in the enzymes for this complex methylation cycle, also known as the one carbon cycle. And the, and the, uh, the, 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 the number one factor is the MTHFR, which is one of the enzymes. And that, that's the rate limiting step for that whole cycle for most people. 
However, um, most human beings have enormous numbers of SNPs. The, the human genome now, uh, they already found 10 million SNPs or mutations in the human genome. Every human being has thousands of these SNPs. And, and a really high percentage of people have even the more serious MTHFR SNPs, the 677T, the 1298 that people are always talking about. The thing that's, that, um, that is, is often mistaken by nutritional scientists is that if a person has, um, uh, say, the homozygous, the, the double copies of the 677T, it doesn't necessarily mean they're undermethylated. And it certainly doesn't mean that they will benefit if you give them methylfolate. And, and uh, that's one of the problems that, that we're finding. And the, the reason is that is epigenetics. You have to consider the epigenetics and the methylation at the same time. And uh, there are three nutrients that affect, or, or nutrient factors that affect epigenetics more than anything else. They include folates, methionine or, or SAMI, and acetylcoenzyme A, these have a really powerful impact on epigenetics. And, and what happens is that folates are serotonin reuptake promoters. So even if a person is undermethylated and has depression or, or some or anxiety or some problem related to low serotonin activity, you cannot give them folates. Because if you do, their methylation will improve and the patient will get worse. And the reason is that epigenetically, folates, um, they act as what's known as deacetylase inhibitors, and they, they sharply lower serotonin activity. So uh, the way it works out is that for autism, most autistics don't have a, a problem with serotonin. They thrive on methylfolate. And so a lot of the autism, autism community is doing these genetic tests, and, and they benefit from it. However, there's uh, at least 10% of these autistic children and adults get extraordinarily worse if you give them methylfolate. And the reason is they happen to also have a serotonin issue. So you know, we've had um, thousands of patients who were undermethylated depressives. They might have, uh, I've seen um, more than 3,000 cases of clinical depression. I've got this huge database and, and the largest Phenotype, the largest type of depression actually is under methylation. But if you gave them any form of folate, they would get worse. The methylation would improve, they would get worse because it affects reuptake. It, it has a dramatic impact on reuptake. And, um, and so we know that, for example, methionine and SAMI are natural serotonin reuptake inhibitors. They do essentially the same thing that Prozac and Paxil do. And, and folates are, are the, have the opposite effect. Um, folates are wonderful if you want to knock dopamine level down in schizophrenics, for example, or people who have high anxiety over methylated people. It's, it's counterintuitive. And it was a mystery for 30 years that bothered Carl Pfeiffer and Abram Hoffer and myself and a lot of other people. Why is it that some undermethylated people are intolerant to folates? And why is it that some overmethylated mental patients thrive on folates that improve methylation. We finally, it finally got solved in, 19, in the year 2000 with the understanding of, uh, of epigenetics. Most likely one of the biggest causes of the epigenetic influences is mitochondrial dysfunction, which I just wrote a book on that uh, is called Fat for Fuel. 
And so I, I'm quite familiar with some of these uh, variables that can contribute to that. And so let's discuss what some of them might be for autism. From my perspective, there's there's a few. Obviously, the food they're eating, they're not burning fat as their primary fuel, not generating ketones, which have less reactive oxygen species. They're exposed to electromagnetic frequencies, unhealthy non-native ones. That is a major issue, which will clearly increase reactive oxygen species. And then glyphosate and Roundup, uh, and then heavy metal oh, toxic, heavy metal toxicities and vaccines. So there's a five that are most likely powerful variables in the manifestation of this. And I'm wondering your perspective on those and any others that you're familiar with. Well, first of all, I've tested 6,500 of them. And, and as, a, as a group, they have much higher toxic metal levels than even their own siblings or people in the same, you know, in the, in the same uh, situation. They, so they're, they're overloaded in toxics. And, and I believe the reason why is that they are born with a vulnerability to toxics that's higher than most. I think they have uh, insufficiency in glutathione and, and, uh, and, and uh, metallothionine and all these wonderful natural antioxidants that we have. They are, they are born with a vulnerability. And so they're especially vulnerable to the environment. They're also vulnerable to a bad diet. And to me, the real issue is why does autism onset occur? Because once autism occurs, it's a striking, dramatic, really a horrendous kind of thing for a family to see a child change so in totally in just a, sometimes in just a day or two. And, and uh, so I think that the key really is what, what initiates it? What, how can we prevent it? Because once, once a person has autism, uh, and, and speaking with, with some of these, these, these uh, groups, these, these, these groups of scientists that get together, one of the biggest mysteries is why doesn't it go away? Why is it once autism rears its ugly head, is it a permanent issue the rest of their lives? I mean, there's been all, wow. kinds of, of, all kinds of therapies. Now, this is classic canner autism. There's now about one out of every, thir- one out of every three autistics today diagnosed with autism doesn't have true autism. And a lot of them recover completely because they don't have the epigenetic variation of it. But the um, but everything you mentioned is correct. The um, the the any kind of a of, a, of an insult in terms of the environment or a failure to have a proper intake of nutrients can can uh, really mitigate toward autism and can prevent re, um, you know partial improvements or recovery from autism. Have you found any? Uh, detoxification interventions that have been particularly helpful, like mirror infrared sauna, uh, detoxification foot baths, a variety of uh, chelators uh, in conjunction with that. Have you found anything that's particularly useful? Yes, I have. And uh, the because these children also have extraordinary copper-zinc imbalances, that means that the metallothionine protein is not functional. Metallothionine has the job in the body of homeostatically controlling copper and zinc. And it's radically abnormal for autistic kids as a group. I presented that at the American Psychiatric Association about 15 years ago. So um, what I developed was a metallothionine promotion nutrient therapy, a formulation of 22 nutrients that, that we know enhance the genetic expression of metallothionine and also enhance the function of metallothionine once it's in the body. We used that on, on more than 2,000 autistics, and we found that it, it certainly made an improvement in the outcomes that we got with our with our population. 
So it's a supplement to use that in conjunction with any other, the more conventional detoxification strategies that a lot of clinicians are using? Well, the, the, uh, the, the, num the number, the most important antioxidants in the brain are somewhat different than the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. um, I call them the three musketeers, and it's glutathione, mm -hmm. metallothionine, and selenium, and it's specific to the brain. And, and glutathione is the first line of defense. The problem well, is that selenium, selenium is not an antioxidant, though. It really is an indirect one because it increases glutathione levels. Well, it's also it also enhances the function of metallothionine, the okay. joint function of glutathione and metallothionine, which work together hand in hand, and especially in the brain. And uh, so uh, glutathione is the first line of defense. The problem is we don't have a high supply of glutathione. It comes from our diet. And for example, the autistic kids have very little, have such a poor diet. It's hard to get them to, to you know, to, to, to eat anything. Um, the, the, um, so the thing is with the oxidative overload, you quickly run out of glutathione. So, the, so what happens when you run low in the glutathione in your brain, the brain senses this and, and you genetically express and shower the brain with metallothionine. Metallothionine doesn't work unless you have unless you have oxidized glutathione. It's a hand and glove situation. And, the, and it's the backup system for glutathione in the brain. And we know that without, without selenium, it, it, that, that whole system doesn't work well. You're right, it's an indirect. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an antioxidant by itself. So that's the, that I think is for, for brain function is especially useful. Of course, we have Catalase, we have um, mm -hmm. NAC, we have, we, have, we have a whole army of wonderful antioxidants. But let's talk about doses for a bit. In the past, there's been a uh, tendency, I believe, to overdose on supplementing zinc. Uh, it's not see people taking 30 or 50 milligrams a day of zinc. And I think that's you know, maybe two or three times as high as they need. In my experience, 15 milligrams is closer to the sweet spot. And I'm wondering what, what you're seeing in your population. Well, I've studied the population for a long time, and I think a lot of people don't need any zinc uh, if they if they are born with good genetics, mm -hmm. and if they and if they have a good a good nutritious diet, they don't need any. However, in our mental health population, um, uh, the the many people are born with a genetic weakness in zinc normalization, and they they they're, they're just born with zinc deficiency. When I brought my first group of criminals to Carl Pfeiffer, he made me go through his blood testing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I found out that I'm zinc deficient, and I know I know what my target is. I want I I know that for mental health and for physical health, a person should be between 90 and 130 micrograms per deciliter. I take 100 milligrams of zinc a day. Well, you and take 100. Me, I have to because for me, uh, I have a, I'm fighting genetics, and mm -hmm. for me, that's what it takes for me to have a normal, healthy level of zinc. So it depends totally on the individual. Uh, and um, most what's the, what's, the normal, what's the normal healthy level of zinc? Because sometimes the reference weight ranges that the labs give are not the ideal ranges. In fact, that's oh, more often terrible. than not. So, what, exactly. what, what, do you, what do you identify as the optimum healthy range for plasma zinc? Between 90 and 130 micrograms per deciliter. Okay. And then, and if you're lower, just measure it. And how long would you take between? Uh, a supplementation regimen and retest before your is it a relatively it's, quick increase or it actually takes two it takes two months it takes uh, two months takes okay eight weeks it does take two weeks or eight, okay. and then we have and then what we do with our patients we test their zinc level we give mm -hmm. them we then individualize and make our best estimate 
of how of what the dose would be to normalize it. And then after three months of them doing this, we mm -hmm. retest again, and then we can fine tune it. And and we really don't have to test them again if they're adults. And okay, uh, that's, that's good to know. Depression is a name given to at least five completely different disorders, each involving different symptoms and each involving different neurotransmitters that are malfunctioning. And 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 then I describe each one of these biotypes, and describe and, and actually show them that, that if they would simply do some inexpensive blood and urine testing, they could identify which people would be good candidates for an SSRI or which ones would do better on a benzodiazepine, but even more importantly, how they could correct it with nutrients. If someone wanted to find more information about what you're doing, you've written the book Nutrient Power, which has been out for a while now, and you also... It's out, it's, yeah, it's now available in six languages, and it's, it's actually the... That's all? The, Just six languages? Only, yeah, you probably okay. have some in 30, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's growing, and the, the, I'm, I'm told by Amazon that the sales keep increasing, which is... That's good. good. Uh, but the book, the book Nutrient Therapy, uh, tells a lot of this. Our website is uh, is walshinstitute.org, uh, okay. and it, it, it's it's uh, getting increasing number of views. Maybe we we've got about a hundredth as many as you do. Uh, I want to compliment you, by the way, on that. Uh, you, 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 I think you're leading the way in getting the word out to the to the, to the public, and I think that's great. Uh, if people who want more information could contact Dana, D-A-N-A, -A, at walshinstitute.org, we're a public charity, um, and, uh, or there's a phone call if somebody wants to call us. They won't get to me directly, but they, they, they can I give the phone number? Sure, okay? absolutely. Sure. It's 630-506-5066, uh, and then we'll get someone who will try to get whatever answers a person would like. Uh, our website does have a resources section that, that recommends quality labs, compounding pharmacies, and a list of doctors who we've trained who are now able to do this kind of therapy. So, sure. And we've now, we just this last weekend, two weekends ago, we, we did our 500th person and our goal, we think we'll have another 500 or 1,000 in five years. Doc, we got doctors from, uh, I think, 32 countries now doing this. We got a, a great doctor from the Sultanate of Oman and people from Egypt and Nigeria. Well, we certainly need all those areas. So that's great. You're creating that awareness and educational uh, information training that these clinicians can help their patients with. So thank you for doing that. And we've got the uh, resources that you've just provided. So if anyone's interested in pursuing this and having this as an additional uh, therapy that can be implemented, then I would encourage you to, to contact Dr. Walsh's Institute. And thank you for what you do.